Hello, and welcome back to the Full of Chit Chat podcast on charliedemares.substack.com. You may all oh, you may all <laughs> You may also be listening on the uh, Harbinger Media Network. And if you're wondering why I didn't edit that out of what you're listening to, it's because I don't know how to edit anything. Uh, you, uh, and that uh, is where Andre Goulet comes in. Andre Goulet, uh, my intrepid producer uh, and also the um, uh, head honcho of the uh, Harbinger Media Network. Uh, which is a gathering of just uh, an outstanding collection of independent, uh, listener-supported, progressive uh, podcasts from across uh, all of uh, Canada, Quebec, uh, coast to coast to coast. And, uh, and we're very pleased to be, I don't know why I said we, uh, this is uh, 100%, it's just me. Uh, uh, but so I <laughs> am very pleased to be uh, part of that network, and, um, uh, and I'm very always uh, grateful to uh, Andre for the work he does on the podcast. So if you're listening, uh, wherever you're listening, please do rate and review the podcast, uh, share it, uh, that helps us uh, get out, I mean, obviously sharing us helps us uh, get out, but rating and review helps people find the podcast, and uh, they are going to want to tune in, especially today, for this very special episode, which is not only... Um, a big round number. It's episode number 20. So we wanted to do a, a, a big special guest. Not only is it uh, an interview with the, um, I would say, I think I can safely say, uh, certainly the, the highest uh, ranking comedy fan in British Columbia and, and possibly in, in Canada, just in terms of just pure kind of, um, uh, you know, government uh, uh, placement. Uh, but also, this is the very first episode of the Full of Chit Chat podcast to be recorded while uh, my dog, Luna, is being groomed. So there will at no point this week be any barking. And I don't want anyone to uh, hear that lack and then wonder if the dog has died. Nothing has happened to the dog. The dog is fine. Uh, I may try and create some sort of ruckus about three quarters of the way through just so that you don't feel, uh, uh, you know, off kilter. Uh, but we are ready to do some serious uh, dog-free podcasting today with uh, the Attorney General of British Columbia and the Minister for Housing, uh, a dear friend uh, of, of mine and, and someone whose uh, career I have uh, you followed uh, very closely and, and with great enthusiasm for, for many years. And uh, I'm just thrilled to see him in, in, in the place uh, that he is now and have, happy to have the chance to talk to him about it uh, today. It's David Eby, everybody. Hey, Charlie. Uh, thanks for having me. And, and what an auspicious day. Uh, what an auspicious episode. I, um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I, I'm, I'm thrilled. And, and I was a little bit late um, uh, signing into the Zoom because, I mean, literally seconds before, well, not set, well, I mean, everything's literally a matter of seconds, I guess, but minutes before uh, you and I uh, sat down to have this conversation, the government of which you are a significant part uh, unveiled its uh, reopening schedule, which is a, I mean, it's really hard to... Uh, kind of overemphasize um, what it feels like to get hopeful news uh, in today's kind of context. And it was incredible to, uh, for, for starters, um, phase two, I believe, uh, which sees a full lifting of any kind of restrictions for uh, personal private indoor gatherings 
um, it starts on my birthday, which finally all cool. these years of NDP cool. donations are uh, paying off. Um, <laughs> clearly, my connection to cash for, cash for birthdays, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that'll be the uh, that'll be the next commission. Um, <laughs> slightly more innocent, I think. Uh, the cash for birthdays commission. Uh, uh, what what has it been like to be uh, you know um, a minister in a? I mean, you know, you're. I guess this. How well? Maybe I won't presume. How much does the pandemic affect uh, your work? As uh, I mean, maybe starting as as attorney general. Well, I, I mean, a lot. I, I feel a bit strange talking to you, Charlie, and saying that my work has been affected a lot. I, um, so, you know, it, in terms of just having the courts uh, operate, you know, the Attorney General's ministry is responsible for uh, the administration of justice and the courts have their own uh, independent uh, status in terms of how they run. So just, just working with the courts to keep them open alone would be significant. But um, then there's also uh, housing and all the challenges with housing that have come with COVID and the public health restrictions around that and the increase in homelessness and uh, the, uh, you know, just the visibility of uh, mental health and addiction issues in many communities that came yeah. with it. I, it's just one, one thing after another. And, and some of it, um, was actually positive. I, uh, you know, we have a new, relatively new baby uh, at home uh, who has grown up, come to age during the pandemic times. Thank you. Uh, and she um, saw a lot more of me because I was zooming into Victoria instead of, uh, yeah, instead of uh, physically sitting in the legislature. So you know, good and good and bad, but profoundly different. My job is just profoundly different. The evening events, the weekend events, they're all gone, and those were the events when we would have. Uh, you know, um, met constituents and talked about issues and all those things. And, and so I have to rely on Zoom calls now. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was having this conversation with uh, um, my daughter, Josephine was home today from school. Uh, it was a professional development day in the um, Francophone school system here in Vancouver. And uh, so the, all that just to say that she's home, but none of the other kids at the co-op are home. So she was with us. She's been with us all day. And so she, she walked up to the dog groomers with me to, to drop off Luna. And uh, we got a little, you know, drink and, at, the, um, uh, at the florist and picked up some, some, some baked stuff. And, you know, we were walking home. We were talking about COVID. And, and I asked her, you know, how she thought she might remember the pandemic um, uh, as she got older. And she wasn't, she, you know, she said she wasn't sure. And she talked about what she didn't like about it. And then, um, uh, but but she do, she also did say that she thought that she would remember a, a lot of things about this time positively, like that that she because for her it is it is that she's been able to spend a ton of time with me and her mom. She has been able to spend time with her her friends at school. The stuff that she's not able to do is you know she's not she's not able to see her cousins and her aunts and uncles and um, you know the, the the extended family. She's she's not able to do a lot of the activities that you know, uh, particularly parents of your and my generation feel that we <laughs> kind of have to frantically fill our children's lives with. But but yeah, that kind of that quality time together, um, you know, that obviously people who are who are getting sick with this aren't, aren't getting. Um, but but that 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 forced um, time to stop and, and it, there are elements of it that I think a lot of us um, will miss on the other side. Yeah, I think that's right. I I, it's weird because I, it's such a double-edged sword. I, I don't want to get all sentimental. I mean, this is a 
comedy podcast, but, right, I, yeah. but I feel closer to my family. I feel mm-hmm. uh, like we have a better relationship coming out of this. And it was a, a, a like enforced therapy that nobody would sign up for, uh, yeah. especially those sort of early weeks when the schools were closed and it was so nuts and stressful. And what are we going to do with the kids and how are we going to work and all these things. But I act like I feel a lot closer to them uh, than I did at the beginning of the pandemic. Not that Oh man, now I want to be like, well, not that I didn't feel close to my kids before, no, no, but, but, I know, but, but yeah. it's a, our relationship is different now. And what about, what about uh, the, the possible kind of broader political ways in which that might be true or, or, or untrue? I mean, obviously we've seen the, the sort of social contract, I think, pressed to its, its, its basic, you know, the, 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 the limits of it, right? I mean, just you know, you've seen, I remember, you know, something struck me particularly uh, uh, as, as heartbreaking about that story where um, the, the Kootenai uh, food co-op in Nelson had to hire a, a security guard to, uh, because of, you know, masks, mask stuff. And, and, you know, I, we know that food co-op, you know, we shop there when, when we're in Nelson, which is a, a town that really, you know, means a lot to our family. We love it. I mean, obviously there's been this, this fraying of the, of the, of social fabric, but, there also feels like over the past year, there, there has been a change in uh, a way of doing politics that has been um, uh, hegemonic for, for the entirety of like your and my life um, for, for basically the past, you know, four decades of, you know, very much kind of market driven, uh, you know, trickle down hierarchical kind of uh, way of of sort of organizing and prioritizing things, um, and 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 you kind of hinted at this in in your first answer, but th- there are there are ways in which some of the big kind of most uh, you know worst case scenario things in this part of the world that that we were afraid could happen, like for instance the idea that um, the pandemic could hit a kind of localized you know super pandemic, for instance in the downtown east side. Um, here in Vancouver, um, you know, didn't happen. Um, and, and that there were, that it, it feels like, it feels like this past year, I mean, that, that there have been some, not that it's been perfect by any stretch, but that, that new kind of forces on the decision-making and on public policy that have been pushed to the sides for decades um, are finally starting to kind of work their way back into kind of political common sense. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's right. And so there, there's so many layers of, of shift. So, you know, at the, at the local level, I've, I've never felt more um, sort of in need of trying to figure out where the community's at and, and not had avenues to access that. Mm-hmm. I really uh, loathe uh, depending on social media at all for, just getting a sense of where right. my community is at. Cause it's just such a distorted lens. And, and uh, yet um, you know, the, the people that I do run into the engagement is so different and the issues that they're concerned about are so different. Um, you know, it's a, it's a much broader appreciation for public services, schools, healthcare, um, much more concern about how we need to work together um, to solve problems and and less of an individualist uh, perspective, and at the Victoria level, you know, at the legislature for a long time there, and even now, question period is the weirdest. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just the weirdest because mm-hmm. it's like, well, well, why isn't the government doing more to um, 
to uh, support uh, the education system and the healthcare system and and uh, and and how does how you know can't government do more to support business and and small businesses and and people who are laid off and whatever and it's just like you know it's like the BC Liberals have been taken over by this party that is like slightly to the left of the NDP and it's very <laughs> odd it's really yeah. weird like the government is the solution to all of the problems uh, from right. the Liberals' perspective and that has never been you know the idea of government was that government caused all of the problems. Yeah. Um, and so there's been a, uh, I don't know how long it's going to last, Charlie, but it has been a very unusual time. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and, you know, you're describing, uh, I mean, so much of, I mean, obviously everybody, uh, and particularly the people who've had ministerial roles in this provincial NDP government and, and, and the, um, the supply and confidence, uh, um, you know, not quite majority government that, that preceded it, um, you know, obviously everyone has been dealing with the sort of long inheritance of uh, the successive uh, BC liberal uh, governments that came before it. And, you know, for, for listeners who are listening outside of, of British Columbia, um, the BC liberal um, party, you know, sort of despite its name, um, was essentially kind of a, a rebranding by the right-wing uh, social credit party that after that after that party basically kind of imploded at the um, end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, there was a essentially a kind of takeover of an existing but small centrist party called the Liberal Party that had, you know, a recognizable name. And um, so with, with essentially, essentially kind of a, a centrist name, but a very kind of hard right um, ideology and philosophy and style of governance um, and and you know was in power for it was 16 years um, and and so everyone has been dealing with this quite long inheritance of of you know the the people who were in charge before them but it feels like with with the stuff you've been working on that's been especially acute whether it's you know with the ICBC stuff but but uh, in, especially now in in housing and and the I mean obviously the the Cullen Commission can can you talk a little bit about um, I mean I guess <laughs> can you talk a little bit about everything Yeah I mean yeah it it, it is it's fascinating to watch Charlie and and you know for the inside baseball players uh, to, who who watch um, the parties and think about. Um, political policy in the province and how we got here, like just so strange to see the leading BC liberal leadership candidate be, um, you know, talking again about a name change, but also talking about like social issues and government's need to respond to social issues and have him be previously the minister for red tape production. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is the guy, the architect of massive cuts to especially youth programming that resulted in, um, in much of the dismal state that we find uh, many people in, in the province who are living outside or close to homelessness. And, you know, they grew up in this system that where the supports that should have helped them avoid such a fate were not there because of the decisions right. made by uh, Kevin Falcon. And so I, I mean, also I, like a government that tore up uh, contracts for the hospital employees union, who, whose members then had to start working these careers where they, you know, we're working at multiple locations and couldn't make ends meet working in single locations. And then you have a, a pandemic uh, that comes along and the, these people who ha are, you know, put in a place where they can't survive without working multiple sites are now 
um, you know, placed in this like unwitting um, uh, position of potentially spreading, um, uh, you know, the virus from care home to care home that's totally dependent on on their labor um, that is completely under remunerated um, because of the the ripping up of of contracts. Oh, totally. And and you know the the irony of, of having the, the liberals ask questions about care homes and uh, and uh, the need for um, adequate responses to protect very vulnerable seniors from COVID when they when they put the system in place. I mean, thank God, uh, Adrian Dix was uh, was. Uh, Ending the, sing- ending the multiple site uh, requirements and supporting uh, these long-term care workers and staying on site before the pandemic hit because mm-hmm. uh, that was what enabled the single site order and, and uh, without you know, causing incredible misery to the people who needed to uh, work in these sites and go into these sites, even during outbreaks to support seniors. So we avoided some of those horrific uh, scenes out of other provinces. And, you know, it, 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 is, it is kind of crazy. So, but I mean, like these problems when you think about 16 years and someone going from, you know, uh, from, you know, from a five-year-old to a 20-year-old, you know, or even sort of like the dawn of their political, political consciousness, maybe in their sort of early teens, and now they're in their uh, 30s. And uh, this is all they've seen as one model of doing government in one particular, uh, and, and these are the outcomes they've lived with, whether through their schools or other government programs or whatever. And, and so it's, uh, it's uh, it's both rewarding in the sense that people are like, wow, you know, government can be done differently, and and didn't it make a big difference when you uh, banned those uh, out of control political donations, and and you know, wasn't it uh, relatively easy at the end of the day uh, to address money laundering in casinos by simply banning the bulk cash from coming in, and you know, <laughs> why did it seem so hard for the liberals? So uh, these some of these problems that seem so intractable, ICBC's billion dollar losses, um, you know. With, uh, with dedication and, and a government that's not under the thrall of political donations, um, can, we can fix these problems and you know, we can have really positive outcomes. I'm really proud of so, like, so much of the work that has been done mm-hmm. um, by the government in such a short period of time. It's... But of course I am, Charlie, like, you know, <laughs> this is an objective uh, guest perspective on the- Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, fair enough. I, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm saving all my hardballs. Uh, uh, but, I, but I, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it is, it's one of those things where I mean, it, so much of, you know, like we say, if 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 you if you're not engaged, I mean, you you and I, uh, obviously, as people who got involved in a in a kind of um, uh, you know contrary politics or or oppositional politics you know, at an early point in our lives, like we, we became um, familiar with, with sort of counter histories and, and outside traditions. And, you know, uh, I, you know, I was lucky to, to get to know, um, you know, two people who, who, who live in, in, in your uh, writing or, or, you know, one of whom, uh, you know, uh, lived until, until he passed uh, just, just before the pandemic started um, and, and was a supporter of yours and uh, until, uh, until he died, uh, you know, Jack O'Dell, who I've talked about on the show before, um, but, um, you know, pe- people who, you know, were holders of these, uh, I mean, Jack was 96 when he died and, you know, was a holder of, of, of hi- history from outside of, of this, outside of the story that you would get from just kind of um, growing up, you know, watching CTV news and, and um, listening to uh, press conferences given by BC liberal ministers. But, 
um, I, it, it is so much of like what you grow up with and what you understand to be possible. And I mean, I remember, you know, I, I, I have not, a t- I have not unlimited patience for um, uh, the Alberta NDP and a lot of what they did while in government. Um, I think a lot of it was great. And, and then uh, there were, you know, uh, there were some basic sort of orientations to uh the, the 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 monoculture of the uh, Alberta economy that I was like, hey, what happened to candidate Rachel Notley um, uh, on the way to becoming premier Rachel Notley? But um, one thing that I really feel like uh, she as premier just got totally saddled with, and them as a government got totally saddled with, was this was a this was a province that had not seen a change in provincial government party in like close to. Well, I, was it 44 years? Or was it, was it like 60 more than 40 something? years? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I th- I'm, 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 if I'm remembering the number right, it's 44 years. They had the, 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 um, uh, the provincial conservative party, the, the PCs or, or whatever it was, um, had, had been in, in power. And so like, for instance, something would happen and, 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 uh, and Rachel Notley would get blamed for something that was like very, in any other province in the country, everyone would have understood well, yeah, but that's from a decision that was made last year by the by the old guys. Like, obviously, that's not her fault. Or like, yeah, but that has to do with the international price of oil. Like, clearly, that's not her. But but in a in a province where you know you don't vote for a new government, you just go back every four years and say, yeah, keep the keep the people in charge who are in charge. You don't, you know, you're not trained to like process. Like, here's what's different. Uh, when when the keys get changed, like um, you know, there's there's a few months where you can't hold the the brand new person responsible for the like fallout from the from the shit the last people did. Like, um, and it, 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 we forget for those of us who kind of live and breathe this stuff, you forget how much of it is is for for other people just organically what they encounter in their lives, like like what they're you know, like you say brought up in. Yeah, I. Th- that that wow there's there's a lot there so um in terms of you know taking over from an administration that's been in power for a long time even 16 years mm. a lot of the public service um folks that i work with at the senior levels had worked with an ndp government at some point they right. you know they, it wasn't so alien to them that it was like they, they kind of were like okay you know we've we've worked with different parties and you know, this is a different party and we're still the public service. And my first instinct was uh, on us getting elected was that we would probably need to fire all of the senior public service people and replace them with um, our own appointees, because obviously they'd been working with the previous government for 16 years. And, and, you know, they, and in that process, I guess my belief was that they, you know, had been corrupted by that and would be working secretly for the liberals. Uh, really a naive perspective on the public service and how government generally works and, and so on. And, and I but see I that. But I think in- also like true to certain elements of the history in this province, uh, it, like I think when you read um, Rod McElroy and Jeff kinder to myself, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like their, their book, uh, the, uh, Mickleborough and, and Meg's book about Dave Barrett. I mean, I think that, I think that really was a dynamic that was going on in the early 70s where, where, it, where it was essentially like, you know, the Socred one-party state and the appointments, they essentially were extensions of... But I mean, how long were the Socreds there before Barrett, you know? like Oh, I, yeah, I think like a million was, years. Yeah, I was trying to contrast with Notley because when you have 40 years of the same party 
And then, and the other part of it is if you want to get rid of those senior public servants, because you're like, okay, it's been 40 years and we need people with different perspectives on how government can be done. Then who do you turn to? Because you don't have, you know, you don't have the young people who kind of came up or, or who were trained who understand government and whatever you're bringing people are totally foreign to the world of government inside. And they have to learn how the whole thing operates. So you've got a couple of years of just coming up to speed and they lost those years. And it's so hard to, you know, to get those back. Or you're bringing people in from other parts of the country and, and, th- and then that's yeah, got wow. its own yeah, downside also too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that's true. I mean, I, I, I do think like, uh, you know, so much, you know, I'm reading um, Ben Burgess's book right now. And um, one of the things he talks about is the, the, the phrase he uses is the pathologies of powerlessness. And I think um, he, like just the, the way in which being so far from the exercise of power has, um, you know, atrophied certain parts of, of the progressive or left um, imagination or understanding of what politics is and, and how it works. And so much of it is about, is about, you know, do we have the right ideas and are we saying the right things? And, and so little of it is like, what do we do when we actually get to the big table? How, how do the levers of, of power actually get pulled? And, and, you know, who, you know, how, how do these decisions get made? And, you know, I, I don't know if you talk to, to most um, people, uh, you know, on, on the left, uh, even if even if they're great uh, activists or even if they're great organizers, like, do they understand the the, the mechanism of, of uh, you know, the, the relationship between a minister and the, you know, senior civil servants who are, um, you know, working with them, the, the appointees, the, 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 the public service staff that who aren't um, party, you know, party apparatchiks. Yeah, that I mean, that can be a hard thing to keep in mind. Um, honestly, when, you know, former colleagues or people who I worked with, and when I was in opposition, or when I was in the nonprofit sector before really closely, uh, and, you know, it's, it's very easy to get frustrated by the analysis and just be yeah. like, what are you talking about? That just doesn't, it's just not how it works, or there's no jurisdiction, or there's some other like really obvious flaw in the policy proposal or whatever that the advocacy, so much advocacy energy is going into, but I did that. Like I was there and I, you, you know, and I don't know how that happens that, um, that that kind of uh, knowledge is shared out except through uh, people being in government for a while and then going back into the not-for-profit sector after retiring uh, or not running again, or that kind of thing. They bring with them some knowledge and assistance mm-hmm. on that side of the equation because um, you know, I, it's a real, it's a serious thing. I, I, it sounds like a really interesting book. I, um, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to know how, because you want, I want, um, the advocacy to happen. It's important. It's how I get my job done. It helps educate people. It helps give government motivation to do things and so on. Uh, but I, it's, it's, you know, it can be really counterproductive when it's advocating for something that's impossible. I mean, th- this idea that, that different, uh, different, parts of the body politic do different things as, as a way of making the whole thing work is, 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 you know, in some ways such a basic um, idea. And then in other ways, such a a foreign idea that, that, that we, and, and so I I feel like there was, um, uh, there was a story this week in, in which I think uh, you, you sort of spoke to this idea and, 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 um, you know, it was about the the, the Andy Yan uh, study and and the the uh, looking at, uh, you know, so his his study into um, people with 
uh, non-anglicized uh, uh, Chinese names um, and, and the purchases of um, homes over a certain value in, in a particular neighborhood in a particular period of time. And, you know, your a sense of the, the difference between his relationship to that data as an academic and, the, and your relationship to it as a... Um, as someone who you know is, is operating in the in the public realm of of, of politics and and people's reactions and people's uh, emotions, I, I'm maybe not putting it very articulately, but yeah. But can you- well, you are. I think I, I think I said sort of describe my role as community representative is trying to draw a line. Bec- so so you know people are saying well you know and first of all like. <laughs> So I, I do understand why polit- politicians don't apologize now. I really get it. Right. Um, this, this, in 2016, uh, this study happened, uh, and I supported uh, Andy in getting the information he needed to do the work that he did, and I supported him in, in launching it, getting it out to, to media. He was working with another uh, like famous uh, Asian-Canadian architect, Bing Tom, uh, at the time. Um, and so I, you know, a strong believer in and dealing with a hostile provincial government that didn't want uh, to look at what was happening in the housing market. And we were all just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. So that, that's the context of it. And so for Andy as a researcher, you know, clearly um, he has a job to do, to be fearless, to go out and to look at these things and to, to, to try to figure things out. But for me, and, and to do this study, uh, which was the subject of critique. But for me as a community representative, I needed to recognize uh, that when I supported him in doing that work and when I supported him in launching that study, it brought different meaning to it. And it brought different understandings to it than if it had just been Andy's st- research study. All of a sudden it was like, okay, this is government policy. This is potentially government policy. Mm. This is how the government looks at me if I haven't anglicized my name. You know, all these things that come into it uh, when really what he was doing was a sociological analysis, totally accepted in the field, uh, probably wouldn't have been the subject of the same kind of comment. But, but I brought this additional layer of meaning to it by participating in it. And I didn't understand that at the time. I didn't get that. I didn't adequately set the table to say, uh, to, and I should have anticipated um, some of those uh, uh, some people using that study in ways that advocated their own interests around and that, that increased the level of discrimination, frankly. And so um, I should have anticipated that I could have done a better job, but that is no slight on Andy. And, and you're right, that distinction in the ecosystem between Andy's role as a researcher and a North America wide leading housing researcher now uh, out, out of SFU and my role as a politician or a community representative being different, complementary, but not the same, and us having different responsibilities. Do you think that's, I mean, is that part of that, uh, that learning curve that you were just talking about? I mean, is, it, is, it, is that part of just ha- having, I guess, you know, the kind of thing that you only get to know by being uh, the, the attorney general or the, the, the minister for housing? Is, is like, is that something that, you know, is it something that, could have been uh, like, I guess, you know, you say I should have known this or I could have known this. And I mean, I, I guess uh, just coming out of the conversation we were just having, like my, my question is like, um, I guess how, like, it, is, is that something you, you just have to learn from 
uh, you know, the person who was the minister for housing, you know, in, in 1992 or, or, or does somebody have to, does somebody have to, cause, cause so much is, is passed down through these kind of, um, informal channels of, of mentorship and, and people who, people who've been there, um, people who've been there before you and, and people who've done this job and people who've been in this, um, uh, you know, so the, the, the closest thing I can think of, I guess, to, uh, a precedent for you in terms of like, uh, you know, uh, downtown east side sort of uh, activist lawyer turned uh, high ranking provincial NDP, um, you know, uh, uh, it's essentially like Mike Harcourt, who I don't think of as really an ongoing uh, precedent for you. I don't really, I don't, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think of you and Mike Harcourt as like, traveling in the same circles or, or they, they, I mean, am I wrong? Well, Mike and I do talk regularly. Oh, wow. And, okay. And, you know, but, but we, we talk about areas where I think um, we have a lot of shared understandings around uh, downtown East side, mental health, addiction. He's doing a lot of work in that area. Okay. I think, you know, you're really though hitting on, on a challenge and, and that's the challenge of uh, mentorship, but also in politics, like, the need to take uh, to take on issues that maybe haven't come up before, and so you you're reliant on someone when you have a mentor um, to really say, okay, well, this is a lot like you know this issue that I faced, or you know my 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 gut tells you this. I'll, there there is a bias against action in politics. Mm. You don't take any action you are less likely to be criticized. You may still be criticized, but you won't be criticized in the same way. And when you're talking about Vancouver housing prices, uh, you know, and, uh, and it is inevitable that there will be people who want to defend the status quo, the same with car insurance, you know? Right. Uh, and, and you need to be able to discern the legitimate concern, someone writing to you saying, hey, hold on a second, like, what are you saying about my name? Uh, to uh, the illegitimate concern, hey, we can't talk about any of this because it's all racist. Uh, right. And 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 so that is the really hard part, and and parts where you know uh, mentors sometimes run out of road, where you're kind of on your own, right. um, and uh, and sometimes you're going to make mistakes, and and all you can do is learn from them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's it, it really is one of those. I mean. Vancouver and and BC in general, I mean, seem filled with the, the politics here is is filled with all these things that that you know, quote unquote, everybody knows, right? But nobody can say or nobody says on the record. But they're these they're these they're these kind of you know governing truths about and 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 it's difficult to sort of I guess press the. Um, for, for the for the veracity of of the claims right so so for instance you know it was always just a kind of a given that you know huge parts of the city were just uh um vacant just unoccupied people were people were buying uh places and then no one was living in them and then a study would come out that said oh no we're looking at the hydro usage and actually people are living in them that that's just an urban myth 
but then you know I read you saying that the 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 the, the um, you know the speculation tax and and the vacancy tax you know has has brought something like was it eighteen thousand units yeah eighteen thousand yeah back onto uh, you know the the rental market I mean that that does seem like uh, you know a pretty high number of of doesn't it <laughs> fa- foul in in a city with a housing like emergency like um, it just 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 I mean, it just seems to- totally nuts, you know, and then, uh, but then, you know, so, so for, for so long, it seemed like, um, on the one hand, it seemed like uh, the idea that, that, um, you know, Chinese money was buying up uh, Vancouver uh, was one of these ideas that people sort of put forward, they put it forward with usually anecdotal data, it was one of these kind of gut feeling things that people would just sort of, um put forward as one of these things that quote unquote, everybody knew was true. Right. And, uh, and so uh, then, um, and, 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 I, and, and it's not clear to me how true it is. And it's not clear to me exactly how we would find that out. I mean, obviously to find that out, you'd have to do studies like Andy Yan was doing or proposing to do. I mean, it would seem to me, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the methodology. Like I'm not in that, I'm not in that world. Um, it's obviously it, it, that particular question is tied to long toxic histories, particularly in, in this part of the world. With like a, 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 but but it's also not a completely outlying thing if you look at the question of like Russian money in in London or or, or whatever. So there, you know, there are. All, <laughs> oh, hi, Josephine. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, the the dog's not here, but um, my daughter has come in in the middle of the podcast. Hello. Um, hi, kiddo. Hey. Yeah. So listen, Hello. I'm just going to finish this. Okay. But thanks for getting my medicine. <laughs> Appreciate it. Do you want to close the door when you get to the bottom of the stairs? No. Okay. Well, I tried. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, I mean um, uh, uh, you know, at least we weren't, oh, mwah. at least we weren't talking about anything sensitive. Um, (laughs) um, so yeah, so, um, I, yeah, well, rather than me trying to uh, stammer my way back onto uh, whatever track I was trying to lay down, oh, I'll, I'll I'll accept your life preserver. Well, I, so the, the provincial government has made, first of all, the previous government made a decision, uh, and then we made a decision. So the previous government decided, okay, we're not going to measure any of this, right? We're not going to look at any of this. And, and Mike DeYoung told me in the legislature, we're not going to help you build that wall when I was raising questions about international money in the housing market. It was a very clear decision. And then they started getting some polls back and they realized they needed to do something. So then they brought in a uh, foreign buyer tax. And um, the, the decision was made to pursue uh, the tax based on citizenship mm-hmm. rather than... Um, you know, what, what I would say is more like participation in the community. You know, do you work here? Do you live here? Are you paying your taxes here? Um, that as, as a proxy for sort of active citizenship. And right. so um, regardless of what your actual citizenship status is. So that decision was made and that die was cast before reform government. But after reform government, we continued one policy of the previous administration was we, we didn't release the best of my knowledge, I mean, the data exists somewhere and maybe someone has released it and I'll be corrected on this. But to the best of my knowledge, um, we didn't release a citizenship breakdown of who's paying the foreign buyer tax and who isn't. Um, And we tried to keep the focus on uh, with the speculation tax, 
of what, I, frankly, I think matters the most, which is, you know, are you, are you living, are you we're living and working here, paying your taxes here? Then like, you know, great. And yeah. if not, then, you know, you need to contribute. You can't just buy a place here and benefit from the hospitals and the schools and the, and all the public services and so on and, uh, and pay all your taxes somewhere else and, or just leave a place empty because it's a good investment. Right. Um, and so it's really the activity of the individual that I think is the most important piece. And that was a little bit about, you know, where I thought I needed to recalibrate after my work with Andy was because it like became the focus about, oh, it's about, you know, people from China. It's like, right. no, it's, it's not like, it's also about Americans. Yeah. You know, it's also about like wherever the money's coming from. And actually you can buy real estate in Vancouver and just hold it. And it appreciates better than many equities. And so why wouldn't people do that? Um, because government needs to put measures in place to prevent people from doing that, regardless of where the money's coming from. And so that's the hard part is to keep it focused on that part. Exactly. There's I mean, a this lack is, of nuance yeah. in the discussion. I mean, this is what happens when you have a, uh, a, a an international economy that, that one just says, you know, the, all, all commodities, wherever they are, um, are equal and 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 fair game yeah. and fair game. So so if if yeah if if housing is a commodity like any other commodity traded on any other market and there are no um, barriers and 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 you know nothing uh, why wouldn't you buy a house in Vancouver that's that's going up in value uh, by you know thirty percent every year. Um, you know, as opposed to, uh, you, you know, what are you going to buy a, a, a Greek treasury bond instead? Like if you're given the chance, obviously you're going to, you're going to choose the place in, in, in Shaughnessy. Um, and, I, but I mean, I, the, the point that I was, uh, that I was trying to get back to um, as I, as I was adorably interrupted um, was that, you know, there, I mean, there was something fishy going on with housing um, as as we're finding out through the 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 Cullen Commission and 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 all of the the money laundering that 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 was involved and that was also something that people kind of you know had had a sense that that something was happening and, and that they were suspicious but then you 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 know it 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 takes a certain kind of empirical investigation and and a and a willingness to kind of go into the the, the data to find I mean is it normal for the attorney general to be the minister for housing? Like, is that a, is that a typical um, pairing anywhere else? <laughs> no, no, it's not, you know, and, and uh, nor really as a minister uh, responsible for gambling and attorney general, you know, right. uh, but I'm, I'm glad it was, uh, <laughs> exactly. you know, it, uh, the, the office um, brings with it a responsibility to make sure that government is following the law. And that puts a lens for the ministry staff and for the minister, for me, of like, can we say that we're comfortable that the law is being <laughs> adhered to? If, if not the letter, if we can all say, okay, well, the letter of the law is being followed, all the FinTrack reports are being filed by, you know, the realtors or by the casinos or whatever. Um, can we say that we're comfortable with where we're at in terms of compliance with the spirit of the law around money laundering and, and enabling criminal activity. So I think that that, um, that pairing has worked out well uh, to address those kinds of issues. I, um, they, I, you know, this, I wanted to talk to you about, I wanted to hit like a nice balance of, of personal stuff and, and, and more political stuff. I mean, we're coming up on, on, on time here, but I, I just, there were, there were so many things that I wanted to, 
ask you. I mean, this, it, like, and I, so I feel like I just gave the, the total, you know, it was all, par, uh, you know, business up front and, and so little party in the back. Uh, so, I, you know, I hope you'll come back <laughs> and do the other side of the mullet with me because uh, you are, I mean, you're, you're um, I mean, maybe we'll, I'll, we'll, I'll leave things off by, I just want to ask you, about, because you, you're, you're a very dedicated comedy fan like there are i mean i've done i've done uh, you know fundraisers for a lot of um people in in your government i mean there's it's like it's um there are a lot of people who enjoy comedy a lot, a lot of people love shows but i would not call you like a um a casual comedy fan like you you you're a uh, you're an aficionado and and uh, like can can you can you tell me a bit about uh you know comedy in your life or like what 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 role it it, it plays yeah, the, the gateway for me was um, I saw Graham Clark do a show. I think it was for Megaphone magazine. He, mm. And he was like part of a variety show. It was like bands and whatever. And and uh, and I was like, I just killed myself laughing. I was like, man, oh man, that guy is hilarious. So I went up to him after. I was like, that was so good. And he's like, well, I have a podcast. And, and uh, so I started listening to Stop Podcasting Yourself. And then, of course, they have all of the like local comedians right. on and that's um you know was my introduction to so many amazing uh vancouver comedians you know alicia tobin ivan decker you of course you know like all these i mean i knew you before but and but anyway to to more of your um pure comedy side <laughs> i think uh i think uh you're uh your uh, recessive Gene Simmons was one of them. Like, I never <laughs> laughed so hard uh, at. Uh, and, and I, I feel like one. I'll be, I'll be in a in a in an. I will be in a long term care home one day, trying to get people to set me up for the recessive Gene Simmons uh, <laughs> line. I'll I'll like I'll be prodding, uh, you know, some some like you know nurse in the seventeenth hour of their shift, like, uh, and I'll be like, uh, you know, you might even say he was a recessive Gene Simmons. I wonder if, uh, you know, my love for uh, Vancouver comedy is related to the fact that my job, I need to be really careful about, you know, what I say, because, yeah. uh, it, you know, it, it shows up unexpectedly all over the place. I'm already nervous about recessive Gene Simmons. I, uh, that was just 30 seconds ago. Uh, and so, but it's just such a, uh, like, a counterweight to my daily experience of uh, choosing language very carefully and being yeah. really clear about what I mean, because we we just spent a bunch of time talking about, you know, how, uh, how fraught that can be. And so, uh, so that's, I think, one of the things I really love about it. And, and yeah, I just, uh, I just enjoy it so much. I love a good laugh. And I, I uh, get such a kick out of it and I'm so excited for it to come back. And I, um, yeah, I can't wait, you know, the podcasts have carried me through, um, you know, yours and, and spy and the other ones, you know, I'm a bumper. So, uh, well, yeah, yeah. It's great. I mean, I think it, it speaks to that thing of like, do, you know, different parts of the body or different parts of the, you know, doing different things, right. Like that it's, yes. you know, and, and, and that I, I remember a, a, a friend of ours, I, I don't know if, if they want to be, um, uh, you know, out it as the source of this data, uh, you know, but, but a, a good, you know, progressive uh, leader uh, um, and, and, uh, you know, you know, sent me um, some, some uh, a, a link to a study of, you know, the basically, you know, was about what, what people wanted in terms of, you know, attention to language and sensitivity to language and, and, 
And the most interesting part about the study was that it wasn't just one answer of like what kind of attention and sensitivity they wanted from, you know, all different kinds of people in all different scenarios. Like they, they expected a, 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 a high degree from political leaders, public leaders, like, and, and then from, from comedians, the same respondents you know, didn't want the, the same amount necessarily. And I, you know, I don't take that as, as like, okay, here's, you know, license to be hateful and, and, and uh, debasing of human dignity or anything like that. But I, but I, I do take it as, as a, as a sense that people are um, sophisticated enough to, to sort of walk on, 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 on two feet in the old kind of aphorism of, of, you know, we can, we can sort of, uh, acknowledge and, and celebrate and commit ourselves to, you know, the universal dignity of, of, of human beings, um, uh, you, know, you know, while at the same time, uh, we, we can be dignified without being stuffy. And um, I think that there's, people do, most people do long for that kind of flexibility and that kind of, um, that kind of human give and take, because I, I don't think we're, we're nearly as rigid as we're often forced into being by the framing of these conversations. That's right. I, I, I think that's totally right. The, when I said that there's a bias towards inaction and politics, um, it, it's got to be like that in, in how politicians talk too. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. And I, I just obviously see everything through a politician lens as a politician, right? I, but, I, but I, you know, I, the, the best reactions you get as a politician are when you speak as a human being and mm-hmm. not as a like human sort of key line repeating machine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you're really human and, and say, you know what, I actually don't know the answer to that question or, yeah, I think, I mean, that really pisses me off too. I think we need to, you know, that these are the, like the real you is something that has to shine through and, and, uh, and, but comedians, I think maybe face some of that too, because I see when I see amateur comedians, I often think, you know, um, here's someone who's saying something that he, Thinks, and it's often him. Yeah, <laughs> he thinks he thinks we want to hear, but it feels like maybe it's like more like he's doing an act of what a comedian should be, and people are doing an act of what a politician should be. And you're right, that space in between where you can let some of yourself through too is something you do really well. Oh, thank you. Well, I uh, well likewise, and I you know I feel that that's true. You know, not only in, in what you say, but but in what you do. And uh, I I'm just thrilled uh, to have you here. And I, I can't wait uh, for you to be over here on, you know, July 2nd and uh, to uh, uh, see that baby and, and uh, yeah, give you all big hugs. Okay. Sounds good. It's a deal. Love you, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. I uh, feel, uh, yes, I also have feelings that you're great. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Love you too, Spock. <laughs> Spock from the USS Enterprise. <laughs> Talk to you soon, David. Okay, man. Thanks. Bye. Yeah.